by which we have salvation. No other way to go to the Father. There was no other plan. There was no other way that we would ever be good enough. And so you sent your son. And because of that, we are here, Father, at the seat of the table. Thankful. God's uniting with brothers and sisters. Always in remembrance of the great sacrifice that you did for us. May our hearts be charged, Lord God. May our lives be, God, may our lives reflect the sacrifice that you did for us. May we live lives worthy of Christ's death. I pray, Lord God, that you would send your word and heal. I pray, Father, your word would bring freedom. I pray, Lord God, you would use my mouth as your microphone to bring your son the glory he rightfully deserves. So, Father, as we go over these next few minutes, scriptures, as we go over points and challenges, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would resonate in their hearts calling forth those destinies and those purposes. Father, bringing change and impact to this city, the likes of which will never be the same because you have birthed a seat at the table. And we step up into that destiny. We receive everything you have for us, O God. We say your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them up. We're going to be starting Exodus I really enjoyed the worship. I had a, a good friend that I, I didn't know was going to be here. Uh, I really enjoyed the violin. Just, it's, I'm really enjoying the worship. But when you all finished with Reckless Love, that really kind of tied in the message. For those of you who don't know, um, there's a, a great debate about that song. Because it's, it talks about God's love as being reckless. And many people have said that that's disrespectful to the love of God or that's uh, defacing it from its value. And so um, when I heard the, uh, the worship leader that wrote the song talk about it, he talked about how God took no thought of himself when he left the 99 for the one. And if you think about it, it is a reckless love because that love is so valuable, it doesn't need me. But he put himself on the line, sending his only begotten son to die on the cross. And it's that radical, reckless love that has birthed not only salvation in our hearts, but the church to the world. And so as I thought about that, it, it so perfectly ties in with what I want to preach about tonight. I was preaching uh, probably about two or three years ago at a church um, just outside of Houston. And um, I preached about how the church should be the salt and the light. For the last 14 years, I've been an evangelist. I've been able to travel to uh, the majority of America and a handful of other nations preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen, uh, at, at this point, countless hundreds led to Christ. And so I preached what the Lord instructed me to speak that morning. And so I talked about being salt. I talked about being light. I talked about why Christ came. And when he, when he spread, spread out his arms, he tagged us and said, you're it. It's your turn now. So um, we felt God move in the service. Many were touched. I challenged the church to take on the city, to turn it upside down for Jesus. Uh, afterwards, one of the members of the church asked to meet with me. So gladly I met with him. And he told me, he said, I don't know if, if your message was good. <laughs> he said... You preached a message about winning the lost in the city. He said, but the lost are dangerous. So if we bring them into the church, our kids might be in danger. So I, 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 I gently reminded him that it's not my church. 
But the person that does own the church actually wrote a book about how to run his church. And he actually put his own son on the cross so that those dangerous people, yours truly included, could have a chance at salvation, at sonship, at being accepted into a family that I never deserved. Pastor Long mentioned we have actually in August we'll be opening. We have 40 girls between the ages of 8 and 18 coming to our orphanage in Columbia. The government contacted us and said, we have some kids, but I don't know if you'll want them. In Columbia, zero to seven, everybody kind of thinks babies are cute. He said, but eight to 18, it's a, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit more difficult to get them off. The boys, they at least carry value because they can work around the house. But girls from eight to 18 are considered the least desirable, they told us. I feel like whenever the world says least desirable, God puts a target on them and says, those are the ones I want. And that is the same thing that God did with us as individuals. As I began to pray when I got the invitation from, from Pastor Lom to, to come minister, uh, without blinking, I said, yes, the, the honor of being able to minister from his pulpit. But I thought about, anytime I go preach, I have, I've been doing this August 7th, will be 14 years. I've had the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so every time I'm able to stand behind a pulpit, if you know my story, my testimony, it's a miracle in and of itself. But it's an honor that I don't deserve. So I always pray in the same manner. God, what do you want to tell your children? This is not something I own. It's something I steward. This voice, this life, it's something I steward. And so God told me very clearly at a seat at the table, give them the call to evangelism. God said, I'm going to release a mantle of evangelism on a seat at the table. But we have to understand how God, the perspective from which he thinks. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 35. When I was growing up in church, I'm 35 this November, I'll be 36. When I was growing up in church, the eyes of the church was always upon the people on this side of the pulpit. You could say the rock stars, the, uh, the pastors, the worship leaders, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, fill in the blank. So the eyes of the people were always on them. But we find ourselves in a revolution where God's true plan, Ephesians 4, is that the ones on this side of the pulpit would empower the ones on that side of the pulpit to do the work of the Lord together. And so we find ourselves in a time where many in the church, even intrinsically we have, we have looked down upon those that are not necessarily looked down upon, but we've, we've put higher those that have ministerial titles and callings and giftings. If you're a pastor, yes, you deserve honor. The Bible says those who teach deserve double honor. So we give honor to pastors and to teachers, apostles and prophets, and they deserve it. But in our minds, those of us who are members of the church who have sat in the pews have devalued those that have other callings, other anointings, and other giftings. And what I want you to understand this evening is that God has anointed you in the same manner that he has anointed pastor, apostle, prophet X. There is no junior Holy Spirit for you. There is no smaller anointing for you. You have the same anointing, but for a different calling. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 35, verse 10. Exodus 35, verse 10. 
And it says, all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So we see there's a gifting in the artisans. We see there's a calling in the artisans. We see that the artisans, those that are are making things, are anointed. I want you to go down a couple of verses to verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Verse 34. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker. In blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. I want you to go to chapter 36. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. It says, And Bezalel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to command and do the work. You have to understand... You are anointed to do secular jobs. In the church, in our desire to keep the secular from the sacred, we have taken out the sacred from the secular. Putting in context, Exodus 35 and 36, God anointed these men and women to build the temple. In the New Testament, God has anointed those inside the church and outside the church, regardless of title, to build up the church, the body of Christ. One of the things we have to understand is that those that are in secular jobs, you are the first line of offense. You see more people going to hell every day than the average pastor probably sees in a week. You have more interaction with the lost than the majority of people that have titled ministries do in an average week. Your highest calling is not to get a paycheck, work from 9 to 5, and then get to the church as fast as you can to serve here. Yes, it is of crucial importance to serve at the church, but you are also called to serve at your job. Your calling is in every moment to glorify Christ. Jesus said, my my followers, those who believe me, shall follow me. Understanding that everywhere we are, he is. And that changes us from going just from point A to point B to understanding we're on assignment. Anytime I get invited to go uh, to a different city or a different state, anytime I don't go with my wife, I always say the same thing. I say, anytime I leave my wife and girls, it's to go to war. Right? Because I understand I'm on assignment. There is no less assignment for you going to an oil and gas company or a graphic design company or fill in the blank than it is for me to get behind a pulpit. Because God does not look for titles. He looks for obedience. 
I was sharing a couple of seasons ago with the Rockets as, as we were doing chapel and we have the home and away team. And I told them, in your thought process, you may think, you know what, I'm going to retire. I'm going to go into full-time ministry and I'm going I'm to bring God glory. I said, um, if God has not called you to do that, God is not going to be more proud of you if you retire early and become a preacher. God receives glory from our obedience, not from our titles. God receives glory from us fulfilling the calling that he's called us to do. That's the revolution. That's the war. The war is understanding that whatever role we're at, like Nehemiah on the wall, we have a hammer rebuilding the wall in one hand, and we have a sword in the other ready to go to war. God is, God is the one who created intelligent design. And when he created us, he created us in his image. Which means what? We were created with greatness. Every single person is created with greatness. So because of that, we exude greatness wherever we go. Inside of our jobs, we have the opportunity to show people what God looks like. We become a living message. My youth pastor used to always tell me, he used to always say, you are the greatest message a lost person will ever hear. Your life. He used to always tell us, and this is to teens, he would say, you are sometimes the only Bible a person will see in their lives. Are we representing Christ well? Well, if we think we're just trying to get from our nine to five, and we're just trying to get a paycheck, then so many times we're just trying to, to, to check off our, our ABCs to make sure we do our job so we're not fired and we get our paycheck, not understanding you are in the place of divine appointment after divine appointment after divine appointment. In your job, why do you think the enemy attacks you so much? Because he is so afraid that you'll wake up to your destiny and purpose, understanding you are every day going into a place filled with lost people that have the ability to hear about Christ because you are there. It's a game changer. Satan becomes so afraid when we don't under, when in the hopes that we continue to not understand how powerful and valuable we are, not only Sundays, but Monday through Saturday too. That regardless, inside a church or outside a church, this building, as beautiful as it is, is not the church. You are the church. God, the Bible says in Exodus 35 and 36, he anointed these men with secular giftings. To build the temple. The best pastors and the best worship leaders could have filled the place with his glory, but they could not have created the temple in the manner that God wanted it created. I'm reading through the Bible again this year, and what I see is God goes in so detail-oriented manner to explain to them exactly what he wants the temple to look like. And what we see was God chose to need the anointings of the secular giftings as well as those of the priests and the Levites. Meaning what? God needs, God chooses to use and need all of us. Not just the pastors, not just the worship leaders, not just the preachers, the teachers, the apostles, the prophets, the fill in the blanks. Yes, we need those, but you are needed too. You are the revolution. You are the ones that are called. You are the ones that are anointed, that are on the front lines every day with the lost. Think about that. The majority of pastors, preachers, and teachers, where we are is studying, dealing at the church, counseling, 
Ministering, preparing. So what does that mean? The majority of our Monday through Friday is interacting with other believers. It's beautiful. It's encouraging. But it's not winning the lost. Those with secular giftings that God has anointed and called to do secular things have the ability every day to see people that are lost. But what is our perspective? The question God poses for a seat at the table. What is our perspective? Are we just trying to get through the day? We hate our job. We don't like our boss. We don't like the culture. So we're just trying to get through the day. Thinking, you know what? But, you know, I'm going to go to church and at church I'm going to be able to breathe. You know what? This is not a place. This is not a country club. This is not a place for Christians to come and hide. This is a place for Christians to bring the lost so they can find salvation, so they can find community, so they can be discipled in the ways of the Lord. Amen. Pastor Lom and Pastor Lou, when they thought this church up, it was in the hopes that we would be able to turn this side of Houston upside down. So the people in here would be so overwhelmed with the goodness and the power and the presence of God, we would take it to all our spheres and see radical change. Can I tell you, those people that are looking for God through drugs, through alcohol, through lying, cheating, stealing, fill in the blank, what they're doing is calling for God to fill a hole they don't know they have, and they're calling a God they don't know. What's the only way they know? Unless they hear someone preach. But can I be honest? The first message they hear preach is not going to be passed along. It's going to be your message. It's going to be your testimony. It's going to be your word. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. I want to be respectful of my time. <clears throat> it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When was the last time you understood that you were an ambassador of Christ? And on God's behalf, you pleaded to a person saying, be reconciled to God. When was the last time? You don't, have to, you don't have to shout it out, but think about it. Right? When was the last time? When was the last time we sat in front of a person that's on the verge of going to an eternal hell, where the Bible describes it as darkness is so dark that their teeth grind, that it's an everlasting torment, that they're in eternal fire. When was the last time you pleaded on somebody's behalf that they would be reconciled with God? My testimony at the age of six, I developed a speech impediment known as stuttering. And so from the age of six to the age of 21, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, I stuttered. I got picked on, I got made fun of. I, uh, I, my, my Literally, first grade teacher told me to stand up at a Christian school. She mocked how I stuttered, and the whole class laughed in unison. In fourth grade, I stopped going to private school. I went to public school in fifth grade, and I met these two kids. And so um, they were very good friends. I would stutter. They wouldn't laugh. I would tell stories. It would take a long time. They would listen the whole time. And so um, these two kids, Craig and Jason, Jay, uh, Craig ends up moving away. Me and Jason don't have any classes together. 
in 10th grade, we're reunited, and I see Jason. Um, I, I noticed he had changed a lot, and I feel from Holy Spirit. I've been saved since the age of six. I, I feel from Holy Spirit that I should go minister to him. I should go talk to him, but I'm so afraid of stuttering that I have a very, very short conversation with him. I just go sit down. Overwhelmed with fear, I don't take it any further than that. Several times that semester, we, we bump shoulders, we see each other. And I'm just too overwhelmed with fear. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to hear other kids hear me stutter. So I, I don't say anything to them but hi. That summer, I'm watching uh, TV. My mom comes by with the community newspaper. She says, hey, do you know this kid? And in big black bold letters, it says, Jason commits suicide. In his suicide note, he says, I'm saying goodbye to the world because nobody cares anyway. The sad part was three days later at his funeral, there was 200 students. 200 plus one who could have said, hey, Jason, how are you doing? And stayed there long enough to listen. 200 plus one who could have said, hey, Jason, I see you always by yourself. Are you okay? Now, I don't know about those other 200, but could I tell you there was at least one who could have pleaded on Christ's behalf saying, be reconciled to God. And I didn't. And so I went from that place and I got along with God and I repented. And I said, God, if you would give me a voice, I will use it for my generation. If you would give me a voice, I would use it to, to implore on God's behalf, be reconciled to Christ. Because they are going to a very real hell. A seat at the table, let me let you know, the majority of people outside in the world don't even know there's a table to sit at. Doesn't know there's a heavenly father sitting at the head of the table that paid the price with his son on the cross for them to come to the table. Unless we say something. I, I, I love the church. I, I, I'm part of the church. I'm proud to be a part of the church of the body of Christ. But I see some, some things that, that we can empower ourselves. We can challenge ourselves to go better, further, farther. I, I see where there's things that we could do. We could unite. We could pray. We could fast to help turn our cities around. But too often we get so caught up in church that we forget that we are the church. And that Monday through Saturday, there's a generation of people going to hell that need to see church come alive without coming through these doors first. Um, one, of my, one of my longtime prayers is I know much of the church is for revival. God, bring revival. God, send revival. And all that's a very powerful prayer, we have to understand God does not answer what we mean. God answers what we pray. Revival, by definition, is something was first alive, and now it's dead, and we're praying that it comes back to life, right? So it, some of the highest estimates say 2 billion people on the earth have at one point or another professed faith in Christ. So our prayers for revival are, are, are touching 2 billion people, but what about the other 5 billion people going to hell? What about the other 5 billion people that have never been spiritually alive? So that's why, as Pastor Lam said, my heart reverberates for revolution. See, because in revival, something that was once alive is now dead, is coming back to life. In revolution, people that were living for one king are now going and living for another king. What the people outside in the world need is a revolution. And it will take a revival in the church to precede a revolution in the world. So we need the church to hurry up and get revived. But the reality is there's already enough of us revived to stage a revolution. 
I believe the majority of us here at a seat at the table are already revived. You're not spiritually dead. You're spiritually alive. So let's go out there and turn this world upside down. God has always looked for the remnant. Just a remnant. That's what I need is a remnant. A few that will believe. God can save through many. God can save through few. However he chooses. But let me tell you, one person dies in America every 12 seconds. And if you look at the state statistics or the national statistics, the reality is, you know, and again, it's, it's estimates, but they say 30 to 35% of America is born again believers. So what does that mean? There's a 70% chance that the person that's dying every 12 seconds is going to an eternal hell. If you have your Bibles, Mark 16, 15. It says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To every creature. To every creature. A seat at the table. We know the story of Mephibosheth. He had been hurt. But when he was come to the table, he was restored. There's a lot of people that are hurt that not only know there's a table, but don't think they're good enough for that table. But it's going to take the radical love. It's going to take this love that is reckless, where we allow our schedules to be changed because we understand that those around us, if you had to guess, are going to hell. I got the time to, I, I got, I've had a couple of occasions now to spend with a gentleman by the name of, of Todd White. I don't know if any of you have heard of Todd White. And uh, Todd's a very radical guy. And, and Todd, um, we, we spent a day together and then he did a service. And uh, he said, you know, so many of us are saying, God, lead us. God, lead us. So he said, this is my answer to you. Go to a fish and tackle shop. Get a piece of lead and put it in your pocket. Anytime you want to feel lead, put your hand in your pocket and go <laughs> preach the gospel to somebody. Right? Maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't be living for the American dream of a house with a white picket fence and 2.5 kids. Maybe heaven has a different dream for us that we should be going to. One of my best friends, uh, a person I, I greatly honor, mighty man of God, um, had this, this thing. He, was, uh, he served in the army. He was a reservist. He served on the, on the south side of town at, um, at uh, Ellington Field. And so he, he, he had this, he would go weekends. How many of you know what reservists are? They serve on the weekends. If they're called to go to war, they go to war. So he served in Iraq. He served in a lot of different places. But um, he was serving in a reserve. So in reserve, you go and you do, you do things that are necessary for that weekend. But it's not, it's not too, too heavy. And so um, he's there, and in the midst of what he has to do, he notices that there's this janitor, this immigrant janitor. And he's there cleaning, doesn't understand much English. My friend was Hispanic, Mexican of descent. And so he goes and he begins to minister to this janitor. He's a reservist. He's an army. He should be going to point B, but he knows before he's a reservist, he's a Christian. So he sees somebody, he doesn't know if they know Christ. So he begins to talk to them, and he begins to tell them about the Lord, and says, hey, I want to invite you to church. Janitor says, okay, sounds good. So he said, okay, I'm going to go to your house on Wednesday, and I'm going to take you to church. He says, that sounds great. So he goes to his house, knocks on the door, 
says, is so-and-so here? His wife answers the door and said, he's not here. <laughs> so my friend says, that's all right, I'll wait. And so she said, okay. So she says, wait, let me see if he's here. So my friend goes and waits in the living room until he gets ready and takes him and his family to church. Leads him to Christ. That person was my father. Led me and my brothers to Christ, my mom. And so because of this person who was supposed to be going to point B, but he spread the gospel, my family is now invited to the table. So this man that will never be on the covers of a newspaper, that will never be famous in any way, form, or fashion, lit a fire in a family that has had the ability to touch the nation in many different ways. We never know who we're talking to. But, but, but let me go further. If that janitor had been nothing else than an immigrant janitor, he is still worthy of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, I am so eternally grateful that somebody that just went to church understood that when they left the church, that wasn't the church, but they were the church. I'm eternally grateful that somebody that understood the gospel of Jesus Christ could recommunicate it in such a way to my immigrant father, freshly here from Columbia, South America, could preach the gospel to him in a way that he would want to go to church. And then I'm so thankful that this man would say lie to his face and said he wasn't here, would be so relentless and not wanting a family to go to hell that he goes and sits himself on the couch of this living room until... They'll go to church. What the church needs today is more men like that. Thank God for the preachers. Thank God for the communicators. Thank God for the millions of followers. But what the revolution is, is that man being so relentless in the cause of one person. That's what Houston needs. That's what America needs. That's what the world needs. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. You can't see it on, from where I'm speaking, but those letters are in red. As far as I know, the Messiah has not changed his perspective on what we're supposed to do here on the earth. Yes, we may have jobs that, have to, that we have to provide for our needs and our families, and there is great honor in doing that. But can I tell you, your ultimate calling is as a son and a daughter. And a lot of times we take that, we say, yes, God loves me, yes, but that, can I tell you that love comes with accountability. Jesus did not say, if you love me, you'll have warm feelings in your tummy about me. He said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Yes. That's right. My daughter is six years old, and I love her to pieces. She's incredible and amazing. She was walking towards an um, a iron that was on. My wife was about to iron our clothes. And so I said, baby, oh, watch out, watch out. That's hot. That's hot. And she said, okay, daddy. And she walked away. My, my two-year-old daughter is in this place where she likes to test everything. <laughs> and so I, I love my two-year-old daughter. She, she is strong. She's a revolutionary. They both are. 
So I, I said, baby, don't go touch that. She said, okay, daddy. And she kept walking straight for that hot iron. I said, baby, don't touch that. And she said, okay, daddy. And she kept walking straight for that. So I finally had to scream to get her attention. Baby, don't touch that. Why? I love her so much that I want what's best for her. But she'll never see that until she obeys me. You will never understand what's best for you until you obey the word of God, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And so we find ourselves in this place where we have to understand the game has changed. In America, America was defined as a Christian nation. I still believe America has not yet seen its greatest days. But can I tell you, America is becoming more contrary to Christ. We cannot continue in the same way, form, and fashion we have and think that things are going to continue as they are. The world as we know it is becoming more contrary to Christ. So it's becoming more contrary to the followers of Christ. This is not the time that I even I grew up in. Things are changing. So what does that mean? The strategy of the church has to change. We have to begin to empower more those that are called. And I'm not just talking about those with ministry titles. I'm talking about every single person that's called. I've begun to change even my ministry where I'm doing more motivational speaking and life coaching because that's where the lost are. Is it right if I'm honest with you? all Is it right if I'm honest with you? I was praying earlier this year. I said, God, what do you want for 2019? What do, you, what do you feel? God told me very, very succinctly and very directly. He said, the lost aren't in the church. You're an evangelist. Go win the lost. Whatever that means. However that looks like. Within the Bible, it's okay. Too many times, we don't understand the war that we're in. We don't understand the fact that they literally want the enemy is not trying to make you have a bad hair day. He's trying to kick you, dragging, keep you, and kick you, dragging and screaming to hell. That's how he's trying to take you. I have a friend. He has a ministry that saves child soldiers. And he told me about this kid. He saved at the age of 14. Uh, at the age of 8, this young man would be taken to the beach, and his handler would get five seashells. And he would throw a seashell in the air. That eight-year-old with a nine-millimeter would have to shoot five seashells in a row before he could have breakfast. By the age of 12, he had pulled off four political assassinations. You see a mayor or a governor shot, last person you think is a 10-year-old. The majority of our churches, you see an eight-year-old, they come to church. We hand them a coloring book and colors and say, color Jesus. Luke 16, the parable of the unjust steward, Jesus tells the disciples... The children of darkness in this generation are more cunning than the children of light. And I, I don't think it's definitive judgment. I think it's a punch in the stomach saying, wake up. Wake up. The world is doing more to get our children than we are to get their children. Something's wrong. I come from a background in marketing, and I did a, I did a, a campaign with the government, and we worked with a, with a group called Viacom. Viacom owns... Um, almost everything, a MTV, VH1, Nickelodeon, fill in the blank. And I was able to talk to one of their higher ups and they said they have a plan to get people from kids to adults to control their likes. The world is doing better discipleship than much of the church. Something's wrong. God is saying it's time to get back on the forefront of the lost and begin to win them and bring them to the house of God where they can be discipled. 
It's time that we that are anointed in our secular callings go out there and understand our goal is, yes, to be excellent in work. Because when we're excellent in our secular jobs, it gives us a platform to which we can speak of the goodness of God. How many have heard of John Maxwell? John Maxwell is one of the most amazing leadership uh, teachers of our time. And he does a lot of work with, with secular leaders, uh, you know, Forbes, top leaders, CEOs. And so he said what he does is every time is he'll do these two, three day sessions and he'll charge a lot of money and these top CEOs will come. And then he says, hey, I'm going to give another session that's free. He said, I'm going to teach you the secret to my success. It's not mandatory. It's free. If you want to do it, come meet me. He said the CEOs lined up and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. He tells them every leadership principle I use is found in this book, the Bible. We have to be harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. We have to understand that our excellence is important because we have to steward everything well. But our most important understanding is that we are sons and daughters of God, that God is looking to reveal himself through to a dying world. So we implore, can you pull up 2 Corinthians uh, 5.20 again? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We implore you. Do, do you hear the urgency there? Do you, do you hear the passion there? I want to finish with this. John 4.35, you have your Bibles. Do, not, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Amen. Yeah. A seat at the table, you're not waiting for another revival. Yeah. A seat at the table, you're not waiting for this other move of God. Can I tell you, you are the revival. You are the move of God. Jesus said, tag, you're it. He's going to confirm, Mark 16, 20, confirm the words that he spoke with signs and wonders following. What are we waiting for? Bow your heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, I thank you for a church that has already had hearts prepared. I thank you for great pastors like Pastor Lam and Pastor Lou that, that empower their people to understand who they are in Christ. God, but I pray that you would put an urgency, a greater urgency in their hearts, that they would see the individuals in front of them, not as, as, as supervisors or subordinates, not as clients, Lord God, not even as friends, but they would see them as sons and daughters of God are lost. <coughs> we would understand the importance of the times. We would understand that they are not promised tomorrow. But if they don't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are promised an eternity in hell. And that's not what Christ died for. So God, I pray, Father, as you said, God, the mission you sent me here on, that you would release, Father, a new mantle of evangelism on ASAP, Lord God. A new mantle of evangelism on each and every single person. God, you would begin to wake them up in the middle of the night with faces of people and individuals that are going to hell that they need to intercede for. 
God, give them divine appointments where they can implore on your behalf, be reconciled to Christ, be reconciled to Christ, be reconciled to Christ. God, Houston is waiting for revolutionaries. Houston is waiting for, Lord God, men and women who have counted the cost and will stop at nothing to reveal the glory of God through their lives. God, I pray, Father, you would anoint my brothers and sisters. I pray you would surround them with favor for God and man, Lord God, that people would want to come to them to seek advice, to seek counsel. I pray, Father, for strategies on how to win the loss. I pray for an anointing that when we speak, it would be right place and right time. I pray, Father, their hearts would be prepared to hear your voice when you speak through them. God, give us that urgency. Raise up, Lord God, a church of greater intercession. Raise up, Father, a church of greater desperation, Lord God, of greater urgency to implore, Father, that they be reconciled to Christ because you, my Lord, are worthy of it all. Father, I pray for anointings. I pray for favor. I pray for unity. I pray for strength. And Father, I do as you told me to do. I release this mantle on my declare, Father, that this church is going to see the loss come from the north, south, east, and the west. They're going to see supernatural growth. I thank you, Father, you're going to extend their borders to be able to carry, Lord God, with nets, multiple, the harvest that you've created for a seat at the table, church. May your son be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.